0: In the morning, when you need the news that matters most, they can kiss my f-ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials on the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f-ing ass. With Granny and Bischoff. Rip them mother. F-ers. Rip them touching suckers like the f-ing players.
1: brent Musburger appears to be retiring as the raiders play-by-play announcer he tweeted many thanks to the raiders organization for fond memories i'll miss broadcast partner lincoln kennedy and the radio production crew what's next i hear mike trout might step down as commissioner of his fantasy league you never know so musberger retired yeah here?
2: uh seems like it um you know, Brent. I thought Brent did a really good job. Um, I still liked him on college stuff immensely. Um, and we we're at the you know where I'm at every game, so don't hear much of it. Um, sometimes have the radio on uh, just to hear what they're they're saying. Um, but yeah, seems like he's uh, stepping away, and be interesting to see who they get now. I, I have no clue who the next play by play guy will be.
1: Uh, can I read you a tweet from Fernando about this?
2: Well, why not?
1: Uh, Fernando responded to Brent Musburger. Thank you for retiring about time. Wow. Man. (laughs) Gotta
2: get him some positive cereal, man. Something in the morning.
1: Fernando also tweeted, Lincoln Kennedy must be released. He picks the faders to win every game. He is a big-time homer. That's the point, Fernando. Yes, it's it's the Raiders broadcast. That's what
2: they do. That's every broadcast (laughs) in every city in America with the hometown broadcast.
1: And i would actually from when we've talked to Lincoln, I don't know if he picks him every game, but from when we've talked to Lincoln, he's not that no. not always positive. He he's he can be no down the middle as any
2: kind sucks. of as any announcer you're gonna find from a hometown. He's yeah, I, if they're bad, he says great. they're bad.
1: Yeah, I think Lincoln Kennedy's been great. So there's Fernando. Always a fun update from Fernando.
2: Uh oh, uh, we'll
3: see.
1: All right, here's your update, Ed. Mike Trout, uh he said he didn't want to comment on the jock peterson tommy fam situation but he did say that he was unsure if he'll uh, return as commissioner for the upcoming season <laughs> saying every commissioner i know gets booed so he he no commented but still sort of gave a, a little comment there i assume he's having a little bit of fun with it uh so we'll see i if you're mike trout i think you got a you gotta step down. You're getting too much slander in the media from time. It's Tommy not worth Pham. it for
2: a guy like that, is it? Right I don't even know now. if I'd be in the league. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't yeah, like, take you care later. of your league a you bunch of nut jobs.
1: Unless he's in a league with a bunch of guys he knows he can beat and can take their ten thousand dollars. And take their ten thousand
2: dollars, yeah. Um yeah, I wouldn't be the commissioner. I I although how many commissioners do you know that get booed?
1: Maybe I mean, get, Rio, maybe they boo you behind once.
2: your back. <laughs>
1: Real ones get booed, actual ones. Or fantasy no football fantasy ones.
2: football ones, if you have any idea what you're doing. People are people are too worried about their own teams.
1: Yeah. I mean I I would have booed one of our fantasy commissioners because he rejected a trade in our league this past year, but that's okay.
3: I I've been booed as a commissioner. Have you? Yeah. Why? Uh just uh minor things. Just <laughs> setting up what? the the league on certain websites. Like some people have like their go-to websites right whether it's yahoo or cs or whatever and they just didn't like that i set it up on one website or you know however i did the roster with certain spots but it's all like very minor things it's nothing
1: outrageous
2: well are you guys in leagues where the commissioner decides the trades we're in a league where it has to be a certain percentage of the owners
1: no so the trade our trade that got rejected was um it's a keeper league so we can trade draft picks from the future i was trying to trade uh a third round pick two years in the future and he said no you can't do that you can only trade one year out so i should have booed him it's not written down as a rule anywhere he just he deserved to be booed on that yeah he he just he just deserves everything so he should have been booed but eh, it's okay not that big of a deal i should go slap him when i see him (laughs)
0: long told me a couple days ago you gotta get rid of this echo (laughs) can't talk i'm drunk
1: whatever so the nhl is trying to bribe the city of tempe uh yesterday there was a meeting the tempe city council uh agreed to push forward with a proposal that would see them help the arizona coyotes build a new arena Uh, If you haven't been staying up to date, the Coyotes this year got kicked out of their arena and they will be playing at the Arizona State Sun Devils ice hockey complex that seats like 5,000 people. Uh, But they're trying to get a new arena built and Tempe, it looks like they're going to at least push forward to talk about it. But the NHL came in yesterday and said that they will award the NHL draft and the NHL All-Star game to Tempe if they help build a new arena. So they're effectively trying to bribe Tempe into helping the Coyotes get a new arena.
2: Okay, I wanted it to be, we're going to give you the draft in the All-Star game, we're going to play the All-Star game at Arizona State.
1: That would be terrific. That would be awesome if
2: they played the All-Star game at Arizona State.
1: Yes. Not if you build the arena,
2: we're giving it to you anyway.
1: That would be wonderful. Everything at Arizona State would be terrific. I'm all on board for That would be awesome. And the Coyotes say, or the uh, Sun Devils say, our logo has to stay on the ice. Sorry, you can't take it. For the
2: NHL All-Star game. What's that in the middle of the ice?
1: I don't care about your Next question. All right. NCAA baseball regionals get underway this weekend. Miami is hosting one of these regionals. And apparently Miami is going to serve vanilla milkshakes with chicken wings, carrots and celery that those are like stuffed on top as like toppers of the milkshake, not like on the side. Wait, the wings are in the milkshake? It's like, yeah, it's like a garnish on top of the drink where the bottom of the uh, chicken wing is in the vanilla milkshake.
2: Overthinking the room. Once again, overthinking the room. <laughs> I, I just uh, you see these uh, ballpark foods, and some of them look good, and some of them are like, okay, that's absolutely disgusting. This might take the this might take the cake, though. No pun intended. Milkshakes with chicken wings shoved in them. I get the carrots and celery for the wings, but with a vanilla milkshake? Well, you so you take it out and you you take your bite, and it's got it's got the ice cream all over it.
3: I guess are those
2: sauced mean, wings? Yeah, I mean, uh, is there yeah. barbecue sauce in there and you mix it up? Oh. <laughs>
1: What a disaster! <laughs> right, and like, like I've had like you know Wendy's. You get a French fry and you dip it in a frosty. Like it's, it's okay. okay, all right, but, but it's not. But been... it's
2: separate from the frosty. You don't have to dip it in.
1: Exactly. You can get the you get the fries on the side. But even then, it's not. I, I'd still rather eat the fries and the frosty separate. Which is if I'm going to watch Miami baseball this weekend. I think I just want to get the wings yeah. on the side and have the milkshake with the yeah, wings. Yeah, and drink that the milkshake
2: like a normal person.
1: That sounds delicious, to be honest with you, but as soon as you take the wings and stick them in the milkshake, uh, I have no interest in that. Stop. I think Miami deserves to lose for that. I don't think they deserve to win a single game.
3: Is this like their version of a Bloody Mary? Because you know how those come with yeah. like a bunch of stuff oh, on yeah. them?
1: That might be what they're going for, is their, their uh, milkshake... Bloody Mary, but no actual alcohol in it. Wow. Sorry. Um. I got gotcha. you. Uh, thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Ryan Fitzpatrick is retiring. Here's a question for you. Ryan Fitzpatrick, never really like a great quarterback, had some great seasons, always was like the backup that would come in and be like, oh, yeah, this guy's better than the starter. But how many players are as beloved as Ryan Fitzpatrick without actually being very good at the sport
2: i think it was the beard
1: is that what it was it was
2: the beard um ivy league guy right yep okay so ivy league guy beard had a little difference to him seemed like a cool guy um i don't know if there's many as beloved i mean we'd have to think about it for a while to see you know who wasn't all that good but people loved but uh he, he probably sits near the top I liked him, and I knew nothing about him other than he's an Ivy League guy and he had a cool beard, and I knew very little about him other than he played for like 100 teams, it seemed like, and every every year he was someone's starter.
1: I, I think the key here is that Ryan Fitzpatrick, two things. When he came in right as a backup or whatever, he was normally pretty good. He was normally one of the better backups in the league to a point where, yeah, you can make that guy your starter, and it's not the most laughable thing in the world. But I think the other key is not just that he was a decent backup that could win games. He was a gunslinger. Right, you, Ryan mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick came in the game, and it, if it wasn't your favorite team, you're like, "Oh yeah, I want to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick play." He's about to throw it all over the place. Like he was a fun quarterback to watch, and was just good enough that Ryan Fitzpatrick was was fun to watch, and you knew, like, I mean, hell, the the last time he played the Raiders, he got his face mask pulled and still completed a forty <laughs> yard pass, and then that, that set up a game winning field goal. Like that was incredibly fun. So. I, it's, it's a guy that I'm, I'm going to miss playing. I think I wish he would stick around just so we could get him. Ah, you might want to put him in. He might be better than your starter. Just let him throw it around the field for a little bit. Oh,
3: next question. Standing in your corner. Next question.
1: John Lynch says Debo Samuel will be a 49er. This season is quote yesterday. We haven't traded him and I'd be a fool to trade him. So yes, Debo will be part of the 49ers this season. Uh, Does Debo Samuel know
2: that? We've talked about Darren Waller with this, and if teams are going to hold them to the fire and say you're staying with us, then Debo's going to have to make a decision. Um, I don't think he went to OTAs, Uh, but when when the fines start coming in, I don't care how much you want to move on, man, that's a lot of money. So maybe John Lynch is like other teams saying we're not getting rid of you, and uh, you're coming to camp because you're not going to lose that much money. And part of the CBA this year is, you know, it's not one of those things where you're like, oh, hey, Jimmy's a good guy. Devo's a good guy. We're just gonna re—you know—we're not gonna go through with the fines. No, the fines happen because it's collectively bargained. So Devo can say all he wants, but when when push comes to shove with that kind of money, I think he shows up.
1: By the way, incredible win for the owners in the CBA oh, to make Chief. it to where those fines are guaranteed. Yeah, because because in the past teams could choose whether or not to fine. I yeah, mean, they in could the past, like
2: even they'd go away three weeks. and like, ah, Jimmy's a good guy. We'll we'll, we'll you know we'll um, forfeit the fine there and yeah. he'll be fine
1: or even in the past they would like say they were finding the player and then once the player showed up and reported right. they'd be like all right you don't have to you right. fine. Exactly. here's your money back but now it's in the CBA you get fined. it does not matter if the team loves you it doesn't matter if they want to find you it's part of the CBA terrific job by yeah. the owners i don't know how the players i don't know, know how the man.
2: players agreed to that by the
1: right. way right but here is the um the interesting part on Debo Samuel we still haven't heard from Debo Samuel what he would be unhappy about, right? We haven't heard, like, he's in the last year of his rookie deal, right? So potentially he wants a new contract, but we haven't heard that from him. There might be a case where he just doesn't want to play for the 49ers, right? And he just is like, yeah, it's fine here, but I want to go somewhere else. I want to be in a different state or city or team, whatever it is. We just haven't heard from Debo what the problem is, which is a very weird spot to be in because we kind of assume it's contract. I assume
2: it's the contract.
1: But we don't actually right. know that, and it could be something else. So I am I assume he's going to be a 49er because if John Lynch says so, but I will say one thing. If, if Debo Samuel has told the 49ers, I just don't want to play in San Francisco, and he's basically just said, I'm not going to re-sign with you at the end of this season, they should absolutely trade him. There's no doubt about it. They should trade Debo Samuel because then you get something back for him as opposed to he plays out this year, and then he walks, and you get nothing in return. Right. So if he's told them he doesn't want to play for them, like it's not money-related, just I don't want to play in San Francisco, they should 100% trade this guy because you'll get something. Debo Samuel's good. You'll get something for him.
2: I think he saw who signed, what they signed for, and he wants oh, more money. Man,
1: how many GMs are like this Christian Kirk contract? Oh, he
2: screwed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. That guy made so many people a lot of money. Hunter Renfro's sitting there saying, all right, boys, when's it going to happen?
1: This Christian Kirk contract and every receiver's in the league like, hold on. I'm definitely better than that him. That guy. Where's my money? All right, coming up next, the Colorado Avalanche, two games away from the Stanley Cup.
0: It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Ed, you know what you should never do? Pay goalies. <laughs>
1: Pay your goalies. Darcy Kemper makes $4.5 He got hurt, didn't play game two, and guess what? His backup that makes $2 million got the first shutout in the series. Don't do it. They're just a bunch of meat bags. You can put anybody back there, and it's going to be the same. Don't pay your goalies. Pavel. Look at that. A shutout of the, the shut Oilers. So the interesting part about that game is it wasn't so much Pavel Fransuz with the shutout. They shut down Edmonton. Connor McDavid's expected goals rate when he was on the ice was 27%. This is a guy who was like the best player in the league. And when he was out there, the avalanche dominated Edmonton, completely shut them down, outshot Edmonton, outchanced them, everything. And if they shut down Connor McDavid, what else does Edmonton have for you? I mean, there's not much else you can throw at Colorado to have a chance to win the series if Connor McDavid isn't dominating when he's out there, especially if he gets dominated. So are the avalanche about to sweep this series?
2: I think Edmonton gets game three. Hot take.
1: Hot take. I think they go
2: home in front of that crowd back in Ooh. Alberta and uh, in Edmonton, and uh, they take game three, and then they lose in five.
1: Oh, man. Okay. So, if Danny they just lose gave in me the five. thumbs
2: up, he agrees.
1: Okay. Danny, yes, I'm hoping right. it goes exactly like oh, that. Oh,
2: well, see, I thought Danny <laughs> was just agreeing with me, but obviously there's a betting slip somewhere in his wallet.
3: <laughs> yes, I do have. <laughs> I have the Avs to win in five, but I also have this series to to end in six. Either team can win, but I took the Avs to win in five because obviously it pays more. But sure, I got, I got two outs, and the way they're looking, I think the Avs can take
1: it in five. All right. So if this series ends in five or a sweep, do we look back on the Edmonton Oilers as ha- having had a good season?
2: I mean, I think so, given what Calgary did in that division. I, th- I mean, I don't think – did anyone expect the Oilers to get this far? I mean, McDavid had to play out of his mind. Um, I think it's a good season for them. I, I never expected them to get to the conference final. I didn't. As as good as he is, as great as he is, best player in the world, um, I didn't think they'd get this far. So, you know, sweeping is hot, is bad. If you get swept, it's really, really bad, no matter who you're playing. But I still think – I still think, you know – it. It's a good season for them. And yet, as you have here, what does that say about our great Pacific Division? If they they go get
1: swept. Right. We went into this season, we knew the Pacific Division was the worst of the divisions. And we, until the Golden Knights actually blew it, we joked for like six months about how, yeah. They don't need half their roster. They'll still make the postseason. They didn't end up making the postseason. Um, But the division, right now, you had three teams make it in L.A., Edmonton, and Calgary. Uh, Obviously, one of those teams had to lose in the first round. L.A. did. Calgary got to the second round. They also lost to Edmonton, and you had one team make it to the conference finals here. Um, And now, if that team is to get swept, you basically would have had a postseason where the Pacific division just beat up on itself and Calgary took care of a wild card team and took care of, it It wasn't even like an easy series for them. And it may, it really highlights what this division is and why it's such a disappointment. The golden Knights couldn't make the playoffs in this division, but also going into next year, the golden Knights are probably going to be favored to win this. Oh, There's no
2: question about that. Yeah. They'll be among the favorites to win the Stanley cup.
1: Like, I mean, they still have to get rid of some people in the offseason, so the roster's not exactly what we're what it is now, what it will be when the season starts. But, like, this division's not good, and it's probably not going to be significantly improved. I mean, think about it. The, the third-best team in the Pacific this year was the L.A. Kings. The third-best team over in the East in the Atlantic was the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Like, this division sucks. So... That's good news for the Golden Knights. They should be back in the postseason as like the number one seed in the West because they should yes. beat up on this division. They we thought they were going to do that this year, even with injuries, they didn't do it. They lost a lot, but I'm I'm, I think if you're the Golden Knights, you're in one of the best situations you can be in because of the competition you have to beat out to get a one seed in the West.
2: Boy, I want to know who the Golden Knights meat bag is going to be.
1: Oh, Who's going to
2: be the meat bag?
1: It's gonna be Leonard and Thompson.
2: I'd like to know how much the meat bag Leonard is uh, is hurt. Yeah, I'd like so to know how much he's Knights, hurt. I think I know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day he'll tell I them. S- <laughs> First day of training camp. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't
1: think so. Yeah, well, he might tell them he's hurt, and they'll be like, "We don't care. You're playing anyways." New he coach. On the he's bench healthy.
2: He's sharp. He's ready yeah. to go. Uh, he's still in a sling. <laughs> His shoulder is still in a sling.
3: So we're not gonna he's wait in for a sling. the sling. We're not going to wait for the Saravalli injury report or no. Saravelli. No,
2: no, Dr. I think we Saravelli. can put that yeah, out there yeah. now. Yeah, Doctor.
1: yeah. he's going to be in a sling and on crutches yes. to start the year. <laughs> he's healthy, he's good, he's ready, ready to, go. to go. Shoulder and an injury. All right, we do have game two of the East, uh, Eastern Conference Finals tonight, Tampa and New York. Rangers won game one. How much do you think George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon are cheering against the Rangers? <laughs>
2: What a question. I think that they don't like any sort of negative publicity. Well, thank Come on, I know. Uh, (laughs) That they don't like any questioning of their uh, decisions. So the more he wins, and let's say he gets to the final, let's say he wins the thing, which you and I obviously want to happen, I think that they, let's say, internally wouldn't be the happiest guys because obviously what's going to happen if it already hasn't happened? Hey, how'd you fire that guy? Why would you have fired him? He won the Stanley Cup or he got to the Stanley Cup final. Even to this point, he got to the conference final against Tampa Bay. So if he ends up losing to Tampa Bay, no shame there. Tampa Bay is unbelievable under Cooper. So, yeah, they don't – they feel every decision they make is the right one. Even if McCrimmon said at the one press conference that, you know, he'll look at what he says all the time. But they don't – they just don't feel that they need to be questioned by any of their decisions. So if he continues to succeed – I think internally they'd be like, uh oh, here it comes, here come the questions. Whether they care about them or not, I don't know. I still haven't figured that out. If they care about questions about anything negative. Um, but yeah, I, I think internally they'd be like, okay, can he leave now? Can he get out of here now? Because we're gonna get a lot more questions or, you know, Twitter's gonna explode and people are gonna have all these, you know, opinions which I've already seen already, like, how did you fire that guy? Why would you do that? Um, I think there's a lot of that.
1: It's the the curious part for me is that I don't know how at like peace they are with their decisions. When they talk to the media, they make it sound like, "Oh, we any decision we've oh, made are sure. perfectly fine with it." I mean, they've occasionally said like, "Yeah, we might have made a mistake before in the past," but like they they I at wasn't least at publicly, that press conference. They at least publicly no, <laughs> they haven't said what the mistakes were. They've just sort of alluded to, "Yeah, maybe we've made a mistake before." But at least publicly, they seem very sure of themselves where, "Yep, yeah, every decision we've made, we're perfectly fine with the decision that we've made. But I do wonder how much that changes privately because of all the decisions that they've made, I think the firing of Gerard Gallant and hiring of Pete DeBoer is still probably the most questionable. Right? Like, obviously, the goaltender situation of Marc-Andre Fleury didn't exactly play out well, but the logic behind trading for Robin Leonard was Fleury wasn't playing well that year, and They were trying to win a Stanley cup. There was at least a logical reason to go get Leonard. And then ultimately the logical reason to to trade flurry was he's older contracts, bigger, like there's logic behind it. Getting rid of Gerard Gallant in the middle of the season. The only real logic was, well, they're not playing as well as we'd like to right now, but it's not like they were out of the playoff picture and completely terrible. Like they were still fine. So That's probably the decision you look back on and say, okay, what was the reason behind that one? It's the hardest one to figure out. So I do wonder how much that decision they look back, especially now that they fired Pete DeBoer. Well, yeah, and
2: let's see who they replace him with. Does he see the resume compared to Pete DeBoer's?
1: Right, like if Pete DeBoer was still around, I don't think it's as bad to look at what Gerard Gallant's doing because I mean DeBoer's been to two conference finals. Yeah, he's been the to Stanley Cup finals two yes. seasons. Yes. Yeah, but because you fired DeBoer, you look around and say, okay, so you got rid of one guy that's back in the conference finals, and then you fired a guy who just went to two conference finals and you, you kind of blamed injuries for the season, but then you fired him anyways. Like what exactly are you doing with your coaches? And why didn't you just keep Gerard Collot the entire yes. time? Cause that seemed to be working pretty well. So I, I wonder how they actually view that privately. All right. Coming up next, John Von Tobel joins
0: the show. We're back to the press box with Grainy and Bischoff.
1: Joining us now, John Von Tobel, follow him on Twitter at me at JVT. Good morning, John. Can hey John. you help explain to us how, not how the Celtics scored 17 points in that 17 0 run, but how did they keep the Warriors from scoring during that 17 0 run?
4: So I'm, I'm glad you, you phrased it that way, by the way, because a lot is being made of the three point shooting and not enough of the fact that they held the Warriors scoreless for five minutes of game time. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with the way they switched things up. If you watch the first three quarters, guys. You know, they were employing a lot of drop coverage. I think there was even like a sideline cam of Mike uh, Marcus Smart telling them, like, hey, man, like, this is the Miami series. Stop dropping on, on some of these pick and rolls. Get up on some of them. Don't allow them to have clean looks coming off of screens. And Curry burned them on a couple of those early in that game. But Harlebaugh-Volgaris tweeted this out, and it's a great number. In quarters one through three, they switched only about 18% of the pick and rolls. I think it was a little bit less than that. In quarter number four, it was 29% or 28%. They were just switching everything. They were not letting Steph Curry get off clean looks, uh, even in, you know, because I think come of it, like I think it was like six straight possessions that just got done rewatching it. They went to Curry, you know, one-five pick and roll, just go after the big, whether it was Al Horford or Robert Williams, and the Celtics were like, screw it. Like, we're just going to switch that. That's fine. If you want to hit a step-back jumper from mid-range, We'll live with that if that's going to be the case. And from there on, it was a really big reason why they were able to stop it. So like, I, I think it should be viewed in that prism. Yes, like is, is it unsustainable to hit nine three-pointers in a fourth quarter? Absolutely. But is it like, completely unsustainable, not so much to hold them scoreless, but to limit them with your defense? Absolutely not.
2: John, put us on the other side in your perspective of uh, what happened there with the 40-point uh, fourth quarter and how just fascinating and incredible it was to watch.
4: Dude, I think it was awesome. And, look, I'm a big fan of the Celtics team. I've got Futures on them. I bet them again before the series started. Like, they, they, they're really good, Ed. And I think one of the cool parts about what happened yesterday is they did it with a lineup on the floor – Marcus Smart wasn't out there until the three-minute mark left in the fourth quarter, right? Their defensive player of the year. They didn't even need him out there. They didn't need Jason Tatum to score over 20 points. It was Jalen Brown, uh, Derek White, and Al Horford who carried them along. It, it, was, it was brilliant watching those guys work. You, you know, like in the first six minutes, for example, of the fourth quarter, it was six minutes and 50 seconds. Jalen Brown... Scored 10 points, had four assists, had a steal, and was perfect from the floor. He, like It was it was just amazing watching him take over, and whether it was dribble penetration, kicking it out to open shooters, finding guys in transition, doing all of those things. Brown but was brilliant, and what he was doing was kind of like a microcosm of what was happening in that fourth quarter. With what the Celtics were doing, because again, kind of bringing this back to that three-point shooting, Again, like we can talk about unsustainability, but when guys aren't within six feet of you as a shooter, you're probably going to knock those down at a really high rate, and that's what was happening. It was beating guys off of the bounce, kicking it out to guys, getting the Warriors into rotations, and that's exactly what happened. Al Horford in that quarter, I think, had three wide open, like defenders defender six feet or farther away three-point attempts and that's what the Celtics did they played incredible defense and now the other end of the floor they picked up their massive uh, their matchups and they just went hand they went hard to the paint and kicked it back out to open shooters and that's what got them that win
1: uh Jason Tatum shooting three of 17 did you take that as something the Warriors did well or Tatum just missing a lot of shots he should normally
4: make Nah, I thought it was more Tatum. Like if you go back and watch, there was a lot of wide open looks that he just wasn't hitting. He just didn't have his form. for whatever reason it was, you know, we can chalk it up to nerves being in the NBA Finals for the first time. I know that uh, one of the dumb storylines and narratives that I heard was, did you see? He was talking to the media and he was amazed by the backdrop, saying Finals. He's distracted. Like so, maybe it was that. Um, but I think really it was just the guy who has off nights. You know, we see this in the NBA all the time, and he had his. But the cool part is, kind of what you're talking about there, he didn't let it affect him, and he went to more of a playmaking role. But there were a lot of wide-open looks that he was bricking. So I, I don't think, like, rewatching that, nothing came out uh, of, like, oh, man, they're doing this to Jason Tatum, they're throwing him off his game. Because what the Celtics do is they'll, they'll mismatch on. They're just going to go after guys and try to get one-on-one matchups. So he was going after Curry. They, in the first quarter, he went after Looney a whole bunch. I don't know if that was really the matchup to do it, because he was trying to shoot over him. But I thought it was more of him not really finding his shot as opposed to what the Warriors were doing defensively.
2: If if you're the Celtics, in the back of your minds, uh, are you saying uh, with the role players and what happened there in the fourth, that's probably not going to happen again with the shooting? But then again, on the other side of the coin, Jason Tatum can go score 40, so he might be okay.
4: Yeah, no, I, I think if you're the Celtics, head, you're coming out of this feeling great. Like, even met Udoka said it after the game, I, and I, I agree with him, I don't think they played particularly well in that game overall, and they came out and did what they did in the fourth quarter. Are they going to drop 40 in the fourth quarter again? No. Uh, but if you're Boston with the way you play defensively, can you limit the Warriors to 16 to 20 points in a quarter again? Sure. I mean, look at the second quarter. I think they I think they held the Golden State Warriors to 22, 23 points, something like that, and they forced seven turnovers, and that's why they led at halftime. You know, that that second quarter is going to be lost because we talk about the fourth. But the second quarter was just as dynamic defensively for Boston. So yeah, like I think if you're the Celtics, you're coming out thinking, you know what? Do we want to go into the fourth quarter trailing by 14 points again? Absolutely not but I think you're going to be in much better positions as you kind of move forward here because also in that third quarter, look, the Warriors are a really good third-quarter team. They have been a very good third-quarter team under Steve Kerr, uh, but they also shot extremely well in that quarter, right? It was Otto Porter Jr. It was others who were contributing. And once that started to fall off and their offense just bogged down to Steph Curry bail us out, it completely fell off. So, yeah, I think if you're Boston, you're feeling pretty good. Like, sure, we were down, but like we can get this win in different ways other than what happened yesterday.
1: Draymond Green is not on the Warriors because he needs to be an offensive threat. <laughs> he scored four points in that game, but he took twelve shots and missed ten of them. Does yeah. Golden State need Draymond Green to shoot less or Draymond Green simply to make more of those shots?
4: It it's shoot less, make more, right? Like like a four of six kind of night for Draymond Green is right where you want him. Like, you know, you want like a couple of those mid-range floaters to go down. You know, shockingly, for a guy who's, you know, more of a forward-oriented type of dude, and this has always been kind of the deal throughout his career, he's not good within four feet of the basket, like, at all. And you saw that a bunch last night in terms of failing to kind of finish in the restricted area. But, like, that, like, yeah, like, you need, you just need, like, four or six, and like some, you know, some really nice facilitation moves that we know that Draymond is capable of. And he had some pretty good moments. I mean, there was a moment where him and Andre Iguodala, he catches Peyton Pritchard on the, on his backside when he screens for Steph Curry. He rolls to the basket. Derek White has to come over and help. And then he lobs it up for Iguodala, who cuts perfectly off of White. And then, you know, they, they finish it. Like little things like that, Draymond does really well. But like the other stuff, and this is like, this is the brilliance of Boston and some of these teams when you're watching them. They don't mind helping off of Draymond Green on defense. You saw it. All of those threes that he missed, I think every single one of them was wide open because they don't care about Draymond Green. And that's kind of the downside of playing him on offense, which is on defense. If you're smart enough, and the Celtics are, they're going to help off of you. They don't really care, and you have to make them pay. And Draymond Green, with that backpack that he wears with his shooting motion, he's got to make them pay, and he usually does not. So, like, I think it's just shoot less, make more. And I think if you're right in that like four or six range, you're pretty happy. But then, of course, you got to ask yourself where those other shot attempts are coming from, where the offense. But give me like eight points, Draymond. Like that, that's all we're looking for.
2: You talked about how they changed up defensively. Uh, was there more to it of why Steph Curry only took five shots in the fourth quarter?
4: Oh, I, I think that, so. There was a couple of things to add. One, they, they were doing a better job of just like limiting him. You know, when I talk about them switching on to him. Like So that he wasn't getting any open looks. Like in those first three quarters, When like there were a couple of times when they were either dropping off or a couple of guys would miscommunicate and go with the role man or the screener as opposed to going with Curry. So he'd get this wide open look right off of the screen. And he'd pull up, he'd get aggressive, and he would shoot. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, when you're talking about, okay, it's just body after body after body in front of him, well, then all of a sudden he's passing out of it a little bit more. Some of the shots are missing, so he's not going to be as aggressive, especially like Robert Williams is a really big deterring force. And so it's great that you can hit him with a step back jumper in mid range, but that's not always going to be there for you. And Robert Williams did some pretty good moments or had some pretty good moments against him. Al Horford, when he came in for Williams, is a lot more athletic than Williams can be, especially on that bum knee. So he deterred Steph Curry from taking a lot of those shots. And they just did a good job of getting the ball out of his hand. So I don't know if it was Steph Curry decision making as much as Boston really changing things up, keeping bodies in front of him and saying, we'll give you mismatches, but we're going to make sure that it's at least a mismatch that we're not really in a terrible spot. And I thought they did brilliant with that, especially when they brought Horford out on the floor.
1: Does it matter who wins finals MVP?
4: I, look, I don't think so. I think, it's like, I think it's one of the dumbest things. Like, for some reason, I, I, I tweeted this out yesterday after watching what Curry did. Like just think about it, Tyler. Watching what Steph Curry did in the first quarter alone, right, and how brilliant he was, and there were people that came into the series, go, yeah, he needs to prove something to me. He's got to win Finals MVP. Like, so, like his legacy is is undecided by you because out of shape media members have not voted for him for a subjective award. Like, okay, like I guess, but like my eyes tell me he's one of the greatest basketball players I've ever seen in my lifetime, and that the NBA players or the NBA has ever seen. I think it's ridiculous that that's like part of a conversation. But this is what we do with sports, I guess. But I I would say that it is. Is extremely dumb if you think that Steph Curry needs a finals MVP to, like, cement some sort of weird legacy in your mind.
2: Would it matter more if Al Horford won it?
4: I mean, I think. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I mean, now, I hope he doesn't. I've got Jalen Brown at 13-1 <laughs> in the finals, MVP. Uh, but, like, from a narrative standpoint, and think about it, Ed, I mean, he's, he's on his way. Like, it, it, the top two guys, I think, in terms of likelihood to win this after game one are Jalen Brown and Al Horford. They were brilliant <laughs> in that game. So, I like, it would be very fitting for a team like the Celtics who, who are super deep, have multiple guys who are role players. If they come out of this NBA finals with a win and it's a guy like Al Horford who wins finals MVP, but God, I hope he does. Um,
1: you said you have already bet on Boston. They win game one. How many games does it take them to win this series now?
4: So I've, I, have i have got a couple of things on Boston. I've got a future for the regular season before I bet them to win it in five. Uh, I I'm, I'll stick by that, you know, for the, for my official article, Uh, Up on our website at V-CID, I picked the Celtics in in six, but they have the capabilities of making this a really short series. You saw how good they could be defensively in multiple quarters yesterday. You saw their depth. You saw some of the weaknesses come to light here with this Warriors roster. Uh, I think they can make this a short series, Tyler. So I'm going to go. My official prediction was uh, Celtics in six, but uh, I definitely think that we're definitely along the path, I would say, of them ending this relatively quickly in, in terms of like five games.
1: All right. Follow him on Twitter at mejvt. I hope I hope we at least get a long series. I hope you're wrong about that part of it, but give me, me like,
4: JVT how about five Twitter? competitive games in the Celtics still in five. So wow. I have to win my money. That'd be a total
2: of how many we got all the uh, in all the series beforehand. <laughs> that would be good.
4: <laughs> right? Start. Yeah. There you go. I'm excited.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Awesome Thanks. stuff. Appreciate it, guys. So there is John Von Tobel on the NBA Finals and all in on the Celtics being the better team here. All right. Coming up next here on The Press Box, uh, we'll get into the Las Vegas Aces because last night was about as bad as a game could go for this team.
0: And they're up by 16 now. Plum has it with seven minutes to go in the second quarter. Plum down the lane, kicks it to Asia off the glass and one. There you go. Asia made this one count. Nice drive and dish from KP Asia to the free throw line for a three-point play opportunity. There goes Alyssa Thomas, rejected by Asia, into the hands of Jackie. Jackie, one on two, trailer, Plum, three, boom! Kelsey Plum assists Jackie Young in the trail right there. 55-53, it's the closest the Aces have been since the first period. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff.
1: The Las Vegas aces lost their second game of the season last night to the Connecticut sun 97 to 90, but more importantly than losing the game, two players left the game with injury. Jackie young rolled her ankle and left. And then Chelsea gray also rolled her ankle, but actually hit her face on an opponent's shoulder as she was falling to the floor after, uh, rolling her ankle and had to leave and get stitches. Um, what that meant is that in the fourth quarter of this game, while they're trying to mount a comeback, the Las Vegas Aces had three centers on the floor at the same time.
2: We don't want that.
1: Like, Bill Embiid never put three no, centers we don't on the floor that. at the same time. So, in their normal starting five, Asia Wilson's the starting center. Teresa Plaissance is a center they've used probably the most. She's I think she's the most used bench player this year. And then Kia Stokes was the other center that came in. And this is where we've, we've mentioned it before. Despite the 9-1 start, the Aces don't have much of a bench. They don't have much depth. They don't get much bench scoring. Don't even get many bench minutes, to be honest. And when the Aces starting point guard and when the Aces starting small forward got hurt and could not play in the fourth quarter, Becky Hammond did not have a single guard on the bench that she trusted to put in the game. And so she played with three centers to end that game. And what you had was effectively Kelsey Plum playing point guard. Dierica Hamby, who's a power forward, was the sh- technical shooting guard. And Asia Wilson was like the small forward. This bench is brutal. And if Jackie Young and Chelsea Gray are going to miss any significant time, that's a massive blow to what oh, this season's going to yeah, be.
2: Yeah, they're it's not going to be nine or eight straight wins anymore if this happens. And this is, like you said, this is what we said all along. If if we said all along, look, if they stay healthy and they don't just get completely gassed, they should win the championship. But we've already seen, and there's a lot of season left, what happens when one or two of their best players get hurt, and it's not good. So while everyone says they're the best team in their full strength, I believe that. Um, you saw last night that you know they, only, they lost 97-90, so they were in it. But this is this is the kind of the kryptonite of what could turn a season, you know, the wrong way comparative to if they're completely healthy that they should go ahead and win the title.
1: The Ace's starting five this season has played two hundred and fourteen minutes together. The next most used uh lineup in the WNBA has only played ninety-five minutes together. They have doubled up the second most used lineup. That's how heavy they're relying on these starters and now two of them got hurt. Now, how long Young and Gray will be out, we'll have to see. But
2: Young looked worse.
1: Yes, she she left the game. Chelsea Gray She'd got stitches. Up. I'm yeah. I'm guessing uh able to play through the stitching there. Yeah. We'll we'll see, but I uh, I assume like you, that Jackie Young would is more likely to be long-term than Chelsea Gray is. But I think this w- one of the keys here and this might end up being the most important detail to this season if They don't fix it in season or get healthy here. They blew the offseason. They did not add a single player to this roster that can help them win. This starting five that they're using was already on the team. Raquana Williams is their best bench player, but she's been hurt and hasn't been able to play. She was on the team last year. They didn't improve this roster at all in the offseason. Didn't add a single player that's helpful and when you go back and you look, they didn't sign anybody that's really helpful, but they also traded away two picks in the 2023 draft to get two picks in the 2022 draft and then cut both of those players mm-hmm. less than a month after the draft. That is that is as bad of an offseason as you can have. And if they don't win the title this year, that's what we're going to point back to is like, wow, you did not add a single helpful player to this roster in the offseason, and that's why when you lose one player to injury, your season or your game is derailed.
2: I mean, when you only have one guard off the bench and she plays four minutes, <laughs> Aisha Shepard, Yeah, she was the only guard to come off the bench and play four minutes.
1: Yep, and didn't didn't even put her in after they lost two guards in the fourth In the fourth quarter, like they just played three centers instead of playing any guards on that team.
2: Shades of Billy, and he didn't like yeah. you said. He didn't even play center two, yeah. three centers at a time.
1: I mean, Lambeer would still have put guards in the game at that yeah. point. <laughs> like he would not he have look on the bench
2: said, "Who's under six foot?"
1: Right. He would not have lost his point guard and been like, "Oh, I got to go to my other center here." Like that would he would have at least put another guard mainly because he also wouldn't have trusted Kelsey Plum to play point guard too. But like he would have at least put another guard out there. So it's a, it is a team that they still have the best record in the WNBA and. If they are healthy, they're the best team. Yes. That starting five is the best that the WNBA has to offer. That starting five is outscoring opponents by 20 uh, over 100 possessions. Each 100 possessions, they're outscoring opponents by 20. Like, they're phenomenal. But the chances that they are fully healthy for the postseason are very slim. Even if Chelsea Gray and Jackie Young come back, you're still talking about just one injury potentially derailing the postseason, but beyond that, not even just like a significant injury that holds a player out. Again, that starting five has played more, a hundred more minutes than any other five uh player unit in the WNBA. If that keep, if that were to keep up, they're going to be the most worn out team yeah. for the That's postseason. what we
2: said. They're going to be gas at the end of the year.
1: So the playoffs start. like, and here's the thing. I don't know how they fix it in season because They've already traded away their two picks in next year's draft. They can't really use those to go out and acquire a helpful bench player. Uh, maybe they re-sign the players they cut after they drafted them, and those players are more helpful. It's just it's it's a hard problem to fix in season, especially when you've already traded away yeah. your draft pick. So curious to see. It's a team that's... Uh, a absolute title contender, but we'll see what Jackie Young's injury is. We'll see what Chelsea Gray's injury is because if those are long-term, things could get rough here a little bit for the Aces in terms of how good they are and more importantly, what seeding you get because remember, the WNBA playoffs, you get buys to what the semifinals if you're the one and the two. So if you can secure that, you're in a good spot. If not, you got to play a bunch of play-in games. Uh-oh.